525. Labantema Brahmanirvanam. Is that the one? No. 24. Right? Yonta Sukhon Tararamas Tatanter Jotir Evaya Sayogi Brahmanirvanam Brahma Bhuto Digachati Yonta Sukhon Tararamas Tatantar Jyotirevaya Sayogi Brahmanirvanam Brahmaputo Digachati Ya One who Antasuka Happy from within Anta Arama Actively enjoying within Tata, as well as. Anta Jyoti, aiming within. Eva, certainly. Ya, anyone. Sa, he, yogi, a mystic. Ramanirvanam, liberation in the Supreme. Ramabhuta, being self-realized. Adigachati, attains. One whose happiness is within, who is active and rejoices within, and whose aim is inward, is actually the perfect mystic. He is liberated in the Supreme, and ultimately, he attains the Supreme. Purport. Unless one is able to relish happiness from within, how can one retire from the external engagements meant for deriving superficial happiness? A liberated person enjoys happiness by factual experience. He can, therefore, sit silently at any place and enjoy the activities of life from within. Such a liberated person no longer desires external happiness, material happiness. Such a liberated person no longer desires external material happiness. This state is called Brahmabhuta, attaining which one is assured of going back home back to Godhead. Any reflections from the verse of purport? Or a question that will expand the conversation? Um, I like how um, the purport started off with a rhetorical question because it really gets you thinking about what he said. And um, I think it's really nice that we shouldn't have to depend on anything else to make us happy. And instead, we should focus like on getting it in our hearts or like within us. Yeah, it's, it's the actual natural state of happiness. It's not dependent on anything else. Nice observation. Thank you very much. What else? Krishna. So, um, so when we go for books, uh, we say, you know, this book tells about how to <laughs> find happiness from inside. Ever, uh, 
no eternal happiness from inside they are like wow <laughs> and they took the book they take the books so this was a reflection not question yeah yes that um it's an appealing proposition that you can find happiness within yourself but i just wanted um verification of the where they say that the person is liberated in the supreme so um is that like a vimukti they are mentioning there is like what vimukti mukti versus vimukti like liberation and liberation in the supreme well this is um semantics in a way as a krishna says in the bhagavad gita aham sarvasya prabhu matak sarvam pravartate iti matva bhajanti mam buddha bhava samanvita and bhakti mam abhijananti yavanyas chasmi tatvata tatomam tatvato gyatva vishite tadanantaram vishite means to enter into anantaram my eternal existence so he's giving in generalities here that when a devotee attains or when a person attains perfection in the supreme he's entering into the supreme but the details are elsewhere in the bhagavad gita but more specifically in the bhagavatam what that really means vadanti tatvavidas tatvam yajgyanam advayam brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavaniti shabdite there's one absolute truth we've already entered into the absolute truth even when we're ensconced in the material energy we're in the material we're in the spiritual um the we're enveloped by krishna's energy so we're never separate from him but it's by degrees and it depends on one's attitude and one's approach towards krishna which part of his existence one's enter, one enters into is that we meant okay kauta karnaka the servant of the source of all entertainment guru maharaj uh, i i was thinking that word anta jyotir so it says aiming within so i was it is a question that what is the yogi aiming on i understand i mean it is some kind of enlightenment but what exactly krishna means here what is the yogi aiming within that's a question Well when when Arjuna asked Krishna what is the symptom of somebody who's fixed in consciousness the first thing Krishna says is prajahati yadakama sarvan partamarogatan atmanyeva manatushta stita pragnas tadochite it is said that the person who is able to withdraw from the unlimited productions of the mind which are accommodate combinations and permutations of impressions that one has picked up from interacting with the material world and one instead can take pleasure within the self within there's a sense of as proper referred to in this verse at the end of of brahma bhuta or happiness that takes place on the spiritual level um such a person is known to be fixed in consciousness so the devotee has an inner life the aim is to be fixed in consciousness to be fixed in one's real identity as an eternal spiritual soul so the happiness is taking place that is taking place is not dependent on the external world you had a question yes 
Please pass her the mic. Someone please turn it on for her. I just wanted some clarification on the last sentence um, where it says this state is called Brahma Bhutta, attaining which one is assured of going back to Godhead, back to yeah. Is that talking about a future assurance or attaining the state of going back to Godhead? I wasn't sure. The, um, what are the choices that you're offering here? Um, oh, it was either um, attaining a future state, like getting the experience now of going back to Godhead, or is it something separate? Something uh, uh, that where you're actually noticing that you're leaving the material world. Mm -hmm. Well, both are there. Uh, as described in the, the Vaishnava scriptures, Iha yasya harir dasye karmana manasa gira nikila apyavastastu jivan muktasu uchite. So there's a, a description of a a jivan mukta, which means somebody who, iha, iha means in this world, in this body, is liberated even while living, living within the body. And how is it that the person is liberated? It's because he or she is fully engaging already in Krishna's service. And therefore, uh, here, the person's life is transformed and is actually experiencing a connection with the spiritual world even while being in the material body. This is described by uh, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu when he tells about how the um, devotional creeper grows in the heart of the devotee and then as the devotee waters the creeper through hearing and chanting about Krishna, the creeper grows outside the coverings of the material world and enters into the spiritual world and then goes all the way to the highest planet in the spiritual world called Goloka Vrindavan, entwines itself around the lotus feet of Krishna. And even as the devotee is living, Iha, in this world, he or she has a connection with Krishna in the spiritual world. That was very evident when Vidura approached Uddhava and began asking him questions about Krishna. And Uddhava, Prabhupada mentions, and the verse mentions how has to, he had uh, shaken himself away from his uh, dual citizenship, his connection with the spiritual world, so he could concentrate on the task at hand, which was speaking to Vidura. So that's part of it. And then the other part is when one who's in a liberated state leaves this body, there are many descriptions in the Srimad Bhagavatam about how such a person is transported either directly back to the spiritual world, the kingdom of God, or to a material universe in which Krishna is performing his pastimes. And one enters into Krishna's nitya-lila in the material world, and then from there goes back to the spiritual world. In fact, in the second canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, Shukadeva Goswami talks about how um, devotees, yogis, they'll leave the material world. Some of them like to say, take the scenic route and look at the... Um, way that the universe is constructed, get a look at the planetary systems while leaving, and others go directly back. Sometimes they send an Uber to pick them up. For Juva Maharaj, the plane came down, Gopu Kumar. There's uh, 
transportation system to take the devotee back to Godhead. Did that help? Okay. Thank you, sir. Any other points? Yes. Uh, so in that first sentence where it says that, you know, that uh, by external arrangements, if, even if we get happiness, we just, it's very superficial or like very shallow. So there's, I think, two verses before this, we have that... Uh, uh, Correct. Yeah, so I was just reminded of that verse, which is like, you know. Yeah, that's good. It's a, it's a, a nice verse to, to connect to this because in the verse you just quoted, Krishna is specifically mentioning superficial happiness when he says yehi samsparshaja bhoga so bhoga or enjoyment which is sparshaja it's born of touch of the material senses with the objects in the material world that's a cause of misery it says dukha yonayevate so from the womb of that comes misery and an intelligent person that's a person who's become intelligent by associating with devotees and hearing about Krishna consciousness doesn't uh, relish that kind of happiness. Yes, because here she sees it's superficial. One, two. So, so Maharaj, I was thinking um, of Maharaj Bharat. Uh, yes. I think of King Bharat. So, so the last verse of this chapter says, Bhokta Ram Yagita Pasam. So, um, when Raja Bharat used to, King Bharat used to do all the sacrifices, even to the demigods, he knew that he was ultimate beneficiary is the Supreme Lord. But yet there was something lacking that he sought out external happiness because of the deer. Mm -hmm. So how? So how what? How to, <laughs> how, to co how to correlate, like, you know, even after five, understanding 529, well, how to, Bharat Maharaj was very advanced. He left home in order to attain ultimate perfection, but he just took a few extra steps to, to reach it. And one of them seemed to be a, a misstep. And missteps can happen as long as one's in the material world. So one has to be careful and not think that um, I'm, I'm good. Because we're never good until we actually are. And that's a mentality of a person who's liberated is not taking liberties because of knowing about Bharat Maharaj. Sanatana Goswami says that Bharat Maharaj and others had staged that to teach everybody else to be really careful and to not get entangled. But Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur, in this commentary in the sixth canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, says that those who have a very lofty goal may take a little bit extra time in order to attain it. Because when you're performing devotional service, Krishna may give some kind of circumstance in order to test the devotee, to give an opportunity for ultimate purification. Because as Prabhupada writes in the light of the Bhagavat, going back to Godhead is not a plaything. And oftentimes, I might think, oh, it's just a plaything, or it's just imagination, or whatever, but 
when there's a dire circumstance in which I have to take shelter of Krishna as my only refuge, then I become cent percent, as Prabhupada likes to say, serious about practicing devotional service. I mean, can you imagine being that far along and then all of a sudden waking up in a deer's body and remembering that you were actually in, in that situation where you, where you were that close, but you, then you got a deer's body? There's a lot of impetus in that. And even as a little deer, he went and was performing Ashtanga Yoga. And eating only leaves and so forth. So that was the gift. Prabhu? Well, I, my, I actually have a question. Um, in the purport, it says that a liberated person, it's 524, um, the same verse. A liberated person enjoys happiness by factual experience. So I just wanted to confirm is it the same factual? Uh, so is it the same factual experience that is uh, there in the Bhagavatam in this verse, Bhakti Pata Ishanubhava, which is, says that, you know, devotion and direct perception of the Lord comes naturally to a person. So is it talking about that factual experience or it's just that, you know, the factual experience is that you're not the body or the soul and then you see. There are degrees through, uh, there are degrees in which the devotee experiences happiness and as Prabhupada indicates at the end of this purport, when he quotes 1854, Brahma Bhuta Prasanatma Kangshiti, Param, this is, as said in the verse itself, this is the, the entry point into bhakti. At the point of realizing oneself to be non-material, there's a great deal of happiness. It's a kind of relief that, oh, like if you ever had a really bad dream where you were running for an airplane and you lost your ticket, the kind I have all the time, <laughs> and, or I can't find my luggage or something like that, then, uh, then you realize, you wake up and you say, wow, actually it was a dream. The Vedas describe how awakening the spiritual life is like awakening from a, a bad dream. And there's a, in the Brahma Bhuta situation, there's a great relief that I'm non-material. I have nothing to do with this material world and all the, all the difficulties that I've been experiencing. And the, then, of course, as it's described in the, in the Nectar of Devotion, this is preliminary sense of happiness. When there's when there's a, a development of a more clear recognition of one's relationship with Krishna, then, as Rupa Goswami says, the happiness of Brahman or relief from the material world is small by comparison. How small? It's, a, it's about the size of a, the hoofprint of a calf compared to a huge ocean of happiness and devotional service. So there are degrees of happiness that one experiences and one of them is in preliminary state. So bhakti parishanu bhava virakti ranyata traisha trika ekakala is the verse that says that when one surrenders to Krishna, prapadyamarasya tashnata sushti pushti shura payonugasam, there's a sense 
Just as one's, one's eating food, that one's being nourished, satisfied, and the hunger's going away. So similarly, there's a, a sense when one's practicing devotional service that one's feeling naturally happy in bhakti, one's perceiving the Lord directly for oneself, and there's a detachment from all other things. So it's not mentioned here specifically that this is talking about any particular kind of happiness, but in a general way, Krishna's giving this explanation about and pointing to the fact that real happiness comes from our inner life, from our experience of that we're not the body, and then also that not only are we not the body, but we have a life that is separate from this body and this material world altogether. Nothing to do with it, actually. Asango hyayam purushaha. Okay, so now um, we're going to read the translations to divinity and divine service, please. Does everyone know how many verses there are in the chapter divinity and divine service and which chapter it is? Does that title ring a bell? <laughs> divinity and divine service? It's a nice chapter, chapter title, isn't it? Yes. How many verses are here? 34. Okay. So we're going to read the translations instead of the Sanskrit. If that's all right with all of you. Are you all up for this? Okay. Ugrashava Sutta Goswami, the son of Romaharshana, being fully satisfied by the perfect questions of the Brahmanas, thanked them and thus attempted to reply. Srila Sutta Goswami said, Let me offer my respectful obeisances under that great sage, Shukadev Goswami, who can enter the hearts of all. When he went away to take up the renounced order of life, sannyas, leaving home without undergoing reformation by the sacred thread or the ceremonies observed by the higher castes. His father, Vyasadeva, fearing separation from him, cried out, O my son, indeed only the trees which were absorbed in the same feelings of separation echoed in response to the bereaved father. Let me offer my respectful obeisances unto him, Shuka, the spiritual master of all sages, the son of Vyasadeva, who, out of his great compassion for those gross materialists who struggled to cross over the darkest regions of material existence, spoke this most confidential supplement to the cream of Vedic knowledge after having personally assimilated it by experience. Before reciting the Srimad Bhagavatam, which is the very means of conquest, one should offer respectful obeisances unto the personality of Godhead Narayan, unto Naran Narayan Rishi, the supermost human being, and unto Mother Saraswati, the goddess of learning, <clears throat> and unto Srila Vyasadeva, the author. O sages, I have been justly questioned by you. Your questions are worthy because they relate to Lord Krishna and so are of relevance to the world's welfare. Only questions of this sort are capable of completely satisfying the self. 
the supreme occupation, dharma, for all humanity is that by which men can attain to loving devotional service unto the transcendent Lord. Such devotional service must be unmotivated and uninterrupted to completely satisfy the self. By rendering devotional service unto the personality of Godhead, Sri Krishna, one immediately acquires causeless knowledge and detachment from the world. The occupational activities a man performs according to his own position are only so much useless labor if they do not provoke attraction for the message of the personality of Godhead. All occupational engagements are certainly meant for ultimate liberation. They should never be performed for material gain. Furthermore, according to sages, one who is engaged in the ultimate occupational service should never use material gain to cultivate sense gratification. Life's desires should never be directed towards sense gratification. One should desire only a healthy life or self-preservation since a human being is meant for inquiry about the absolute truth. Nothing else should be the goal of one's works. Learned transcendentalists who know the absolute truth call this non-dual substance Brahman, Paramatma, or Bhagavan. The seriously inquisitive student or sage, well equipped with knowledge and detachment, realizes that absolute truth by rendering devotional service in terms of what he has heard from the Vedanta Shruti. O best of the twice-born, it is therefore concluded that the highest perfection one can achieve by discharging the duties prescribed for one's own occupation according to caste divisions and orders of life is to please the personality of Godhead. Therefore, with one-pointed attention, one should constantly hear about, glorify, remember, and worship the personality of Godhead, who is the protector of the devotees. With sword in hand, intelligent men cut through the binding knots of reactionary work, karma, by remembering the personality of Godhead. Therefore, who will not pay attention to his message? O twice-born sages, by serving those devotees who are completely free from all vice, great service is done. By such service, one gains affinity for hearing the messages of Vasudeva. Sri Krishna, the personality of Godhead, who is the Paramatma, super-soul in everyone's heart, and the benefactor of the truthful devotee, cleanses desire for material enjoyment from the heart of his devotee, who has developed the urge to hear his messages, which turn themselves virtuous when properly heard and chanted. By regular attendance in classes on the Bhagavatam, and by rendering of service to the pure devotee, all that is troublesome to the heart is almost completely destroyed, and loving service unto the personality of Godhead, who is praised with transcendental songs, is established as an irrevocable fact. As soon as irrevocable loving service is established in the heart, the effects of nature's modes of passion and ignorance, such as lust, desire, and hankering, disappear from the heart. Then the devotee is established in goodness, and he becomes completely happy. Thus established in the mode of unalloyed goodness, the man whose mind has been enlivened by contact with devotional service to the Lord gains positive scientific knowledge of the personality of Godhead in the stage of liberation from all material association. Thus the knot in the heart is pierced and all misgivings are cut to pieces. 
The chain of fruitive actions is terminated when one sees the self as master. Certainly, therefore, since time immemorial, all transcendentalists have been rendering devotional service to Lord Krishna, the personality of Godhead, with great delight, because such devotional service is enlivening to the self. The transcendental personality of Godhead is indirectly associated with the three modes of material nature, namely passion, goodness, and ignorance. And just for the material world's creation, maintenance, and destruction, he accepts the three qualitative forms of Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. Of these three, all human beings can derive ultimate benefit from Vishnu, the form of the quality of goodness. Firewood is a transformation of earth, but smoke is better than the raw wood, and fire is still better, for by fire we can derive the benefits of superior knowledge through Vedic sacrifices. Similarly, passion, rajas, is better than ignorance, tamas, but goodness, sattva, is best, because by goodness one can come to realize the absolute truth. Previously, all the great sages rendered service under the personality of Godhead due to his existence above the three modes of material nature. They worshipped him to become free from material conditions and thus derive the ultimate benefit. Whoever follows such great authorities is also eligible for liberation from the material world. Those who are serious about liberation are certainly non-envious and they respect all, yet they reject the horrible and ghastly forms of the demigods and worship only the all-blissful forms of Lord Vishnu and his plenary portions. Those who are in the mode of passion, ignorance, worship those in the same category, namely the forefathers, other living beings, and the demigods who are in charge of cosmic activities, for they are urged by desire to be materially benefited with women, wealth, proge progeny. In the revealed scriptures, the ultimate object of knowledge is Sri Krishna, the personality of Godhead. The purpose of performing sacrifice is to please him. Yoga is for realizing him. All fruitive activities are ultimately rewarded by him only. He is supreme knowledge, and all severe austerities are performed to know him. Religion, dharma, is rendering loving service unto him. He is the supreme goal of life. In the beginning of the material creation, the absolute personality of Godhead Vasudev, in his transcendental position, created the energies of cause and effect by his own internal energy. After creating the material substance, the Lord Vasudev expands himself and enters into it. And although he is within the material modes of nature and appears to be one of the created beings, he is always fully enlightened in his transcendental position. The Lord as Supersoul pervades all things, just as fire permeates wood, and so he appears to be of many varieties, though he is the Absolute One without a second. The Supersoul enters into the bodies of the created beings who are influenced by the modes of material nature and causes them to enjoy the effects of these modes by the subtle mind. Thus the Lord of the Universes maintains all planets inhabited by demigods, men, and lower animals. Assuming the roles of incarnations, he performs pastimes to reclaim those in the mode of pure goodness. Naveena Prabhu, what uh, purport would you like to hear from which verse?
Oh, you like them all. Yeah. That's good. That's a good sign. Okay. You couldn't find any Krishna Kata in Kentucky? I see. But still, uh, I think, uh, you know, as a guru, I want to hear from from you more. So whenever I get it an sounds opportunity. like out of the Bhagavatam. <laughs> they're saying, we want to hear more. <laughs> so that's that's a, a good sign of spiritual advancement. So let's pick a purport. NND, pick a purport. <laughs> Say 16, okay. So 1, 2, 16, please. Why did you pick 16? Okay. Go to the top, please. Shushusho Shadadhanasya. Vasudeva Kataruchi, Syan Mahatseveya Vipra, Punyatiratan Shevanat, Shushu Show, one who is engaged in hearing, Shadatanasya, with care and attention, Vasudeva, in respect to Vasudeva, Kata, the message, ruchihi, affinity, syat, is made possible, matsevaya, by service rendered to pure devotees, vipra, o twice born, punyatirta, those who are cleansed of all vice, nishevanat, by service, translation, O twice-born sages, by serving those devotees who are completely free from all vice, great service is done. By such service one gains affinity for hearing the messages of Vasudeva. Purport. The conditioned life of a living being is caused by his revolting against the Lord. There are men called devas or godly living beings, and there are men called asuras or demons who are against the authority of the Supreme Lord. In the Bhagavad Gita 16th chapter, a vivid description of the Asuras is given in which it is said that the Asuras are put into lower and lower states of ignorance, life after life, and so sink to the lower animal forms and have no information of the Absolute Truth, the Personality of Godhead. <clears throat> These Asuras are gradually rectified to God consciousness by the mercy of the Lord's liberated servitors in different countries according to the supreme will. Such devotees of God are very confidential associates of the Lord, and when they come to save human society from the dangers of godlessness, they are known as the powerful incarnations of the Lord, as sons of the Lord, as servants of the Lord, or as associates of the Lord. But none of them falsely claims to be God themselves. This is a blasphemy declared by the Asuras, and the demoniac followers of such Asuras also accept pretenders as God or his incarnation. In the revealed scriptures, there is definite information of the incarnation of God. No one should be accepted as God or an incarnation of God unless he is confirmed by the revealed scriptures. 
The servants of God are to be respected as God by the devotees who actually want to go back to Godhead. Such servants of God are called Mahatmas or Tirtas, and they preach according to a particular time and place. The servants of God urge people to become devotees of the Lord. They never tolerate being called God. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is God himself, according to the indication of the revealed scriptures, but he played the part of a devotee. People who knew him to be God addressed him as God, but he used to block his ears with his hands and chant the name of Lord Vishnu. He strongly protested against being called God, although undoubtedly he was God himself. The Lord behaved so to warn us against unscrupulous men who take pleasure in being addressed as God. The servants of God come to propagate God consciousness and intelligent people should cooperate with them in every respect. By serving the servant of God, one can please God more than by directly serving the Lord. The Lord is more pleased when he sees that his servants are properly respected because such servants risk everything for the service of the Lord and so are very dear to the Lord. The Lord declares in Bhagavad Gita, in the Bhagavad Gita, 1869, that no one is dearer to him than one who risks everything to preach his glory. By serving the servants of the Lord, one gradually gets the quality of such servants. By serving the servants of the Lord, one gradually gets the quality of such servants. And thus one becomes qualified to hear the glories of God. The eagerness to hear about God is the first qualification, lunchbox, of a devotee eligible for entering into the kingdom of God. So there's a lot there. Which points would you like to bring out from in a reflection or a question so we can expand the conversation? What did you hear? Go ahead, Ananta and then Shraddha. Um, I like the part at the end where it says, by serving the servants of the Lord, one gradually gets the quality of such servants, and thus one becomes qualified to hear the glories of God. Yes. So what did you like about that? I like that um, when, 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 when somebody with a humble state of mind wants to serve the devotees, that they take on the qualities of the devotees, yeah, and that and that enables their heart to become to open and um, and um, develop divine qualities. Yeah, and it's very important to know this secret that by association with devotees, that one takes on the quality of the devotees, especially when one serves them. In the Srimad Bhagavatam, Shukadev Goswami says. He names, he gives a long list of people known to be downtrodden or outside the Varnashrama system and then says all of them, and these are just samples, can be uplifted to the highest position if they have association with the devotees of the Lord because of the power of Lord Vishnu that comes through the devotees. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu emphasized this, that the association of devotees is the primary cause of advancing in devotional service. If one associates with devotees, then one will want to hear more about Krishna because that's what devotees do. 
Machita magata prana bodayantas parasparam katayantashramam nitya tushantichara So devotees are always engaged in talking about Krishna, sometimes in very lengthy conversations. Machita magata prana bodayantas katayantash der kata tamam nitya about me is nitya, I mean it never stops. Because devotees are preoccupied always with talking about Krishna. So you may see a thread that goes on for thousands of years, still talking about, you know, the, the acharyas pick it up and they'll talk about it and then they'll talk about it some more in the next generation and they'll keep talking about it. That's why there are many commentaries. This is the what devotees do constantly. And so if one's around devotees, one hears such topics and becomes purified by hearing them, as everyone knows, satam prasangam, mamavirya sambido, etc. The, the association of devotees means you're going to hear about Krishna. And if you associate with materialistically minded people, then you'll hear material, about material pursuits and, and desires and activities, and those rub off also. So it's important to be careful about who we associate with. And if, if we associate with high-minded devotees who are engaged in Krishna Kata, just by being there and having, keeping a service attitude, we'll be able to improve very quickly. I've seen personally um, the uh, realization of, of these verses from being around and watching people come into Krishna consciousness like, I saw a person who was dedicated to violence in his life. Now he's in jail, pretty much for good. No possibility of parole, but he became a great devotee because of association and uh, continues to chant Hare Krishna. And uh, others, it doesn't matter what background somebody's from, if, if a person gets the association of devotees, then uh, he or she can... Not gradually become improved and come up to the position of, of, of a Paramahamsa. Okay, what other points? Ashraddha, yes. And then Navina Nirada Prabhu. Marat, this question actually came up um, during the Bhakti Vaibhav class this Sunday. Uh, and the question was that when the Lord incarnates in the animal species of life, then, like for example, um, the kurma avatar was completely animal form. There was no trace of human thing there, as well as the matsya avatar. So, um, so when the matsya avatar is out in the ocean with other fishes and sharks, then do the other animals know that he's personality of Godhead or not? And I, I just wanted to get the confirmation that here, when they were defining the demons, uh, it said that 16th chapter says that they are cast into lower species of life and lower species of animals who have no knowledge about God. So, so in, in, in the animals also there are modes of um, nature? Or they well, what I can tell you is that Srila Prabhupada mentions in the song, his commentary to the song, Parama Karuna Pahundvijana Chandra. He says that the uh, Supreme Personality of God and Lord Chaitanya, Lord Ananda, they can even make stones melt. And Prabhupada goes on to talk about how when Chaitanya Mahaprabhu went to Jarikanda, that uh, animals chanted Hare Krishna. 
so he says that we may not be able to do such things. Uh, it depends on the potency of the person. I mean, you can try. They ask dogs and say, Chan Hare Krishna. I mean, of course, sometimes dogs, they'll follow along and you give them prasadam and they seem to like the devotees a lot. And we've seen animals, sometimes they, they like the kirtan. They'll kind of come and hang out and like be really fascinated by it. But Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and those who are very advanced, like, um, who am I thinking of, who initiated an elephant? Call him Gopal. What is his name? Rasika. Rasikananda. Yeah, he was a great Paramahamsa. And he he um, gave initiation to an elephant. So it's not uh, unheard of. But it's not the norm, because as you say, generally animals, and they're just like people, only they, they can't get spiritual knowledge so much. I saw a spider on my desk recently, and I looked at him, he looked at me, and he goes, I'm getting out of here. And I was like, how'd you know that? I mean, I'm not going to hurt you, but like, <laughs> they're very aware of what's going on. They have an economic system. Beavers know when they've collected a lot of logs, and they're happy about it. But they just don't go to Mangalartik or anything. So, you know, they can get elevated. The, the Vaishnavas consider this, this is what Haridas Thakur said, why he said that chanting Hare Krishna loudly is very potent, because it, it affects the other living entities as well. He said even the uh, germs, microbes, everything floating in the air, when they hear the vibration of the Hare Krishna Mahamantra, Maha they get liberated. And um, there are um, instances of, of devotees who, um, like Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur mentions how we, we preach even to the vegetable tribes. I keep a, you know, a loop recording going in my garden so that plants can hear, especially in the Tulsi house. I put in there so that I noticed in... Uh, like in London and stuff, they have, wherever they have like the Ma Mantra going, the plants really grow. There's a book called The Secret Life of Plants. It's really remarkable. All about the, the plants and how they're really conscious beings. Prophet lamented when trees were cut down. In Dallas, somebody cut down a tree and Prophet was really angry about it, disturbed. He didn't like Trees to be cut down. He mentions it in his book. You know, great devotees that actually see the uh, the living entity there within the within the tree or within the animal. And Krishna's so kind; he goes everywhere. Some devotees appreciate the uh, various ways that the the Lord goes within the various species. And therefore, when Gopakumar is on the outskirts of Vaikuntha, about to go in, he notices some devotees coming and going, and they have these different animal shapes because they're thinking about the different incarnations of the Lord, and, and then they themselves manifest that feature. Kind of a sarupya mukti. What other points or questions from the verse? Oh, yes, Navina Prabhu, please. 
Please pass him a mic back. Hare Krishna. Thank you, Prabhu. I find it very remarkable how Prabhupada here structures his purport, and he has that point of shushu shoshadadanasya. He picks up on that in the last sentence of the purport. Yeah. And it's kind of like the crescendo. It's the build-up. The eagerness to hear about God is the first qualification of a devotee eligible for entering the kingdom of God. So to hear with shradadanasya, with faith, or to give one's heart to the hearing process, and hear this eagerness, also utsahan, is by given by Rupa Goswami, Upadeshamrita as a first qualification eligible for entering the kingdom of God. So to look, how much am I eager to hear about Krishna? Am I attending the programs? Do I want to hear from the sadhus? Or am I just minding my own business? Because the spiritual sound vibration is always, it's always available. Prabhupada has given us all these books and temples and kata. So how eager am I to avail myself of these... Uh, of this sound vibration, that will be my, my ticket. That will be my eligibility to actually go and enter the kingdom of God. So that's a good, I think it's a good yardstick, a good, you know, thermostat to see how healthy is my spiritual life, how much am I eager to hear Krishna Kata all throughout points. the day. Very good points. I'd like to enter into evidence a verse from the third canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam <coughs> that starts Madguna Shruti Matrena. And this verse, <coughs> if that's enough for you to find it, Madguna Shruti Matrena Mai Sarva Guhashaye Mano Gatir Avicina Yata Gangam Basum Buddhao Lakshanam Bhakti Yogasya Yugunasya Hudaritam Ahaitu Ki Avyavahita so this verse comes in a series, and this is a series in which Kapiladev is describing devotional service in the mode of ignorance, in the mode of passion, and the mode of goodness, and then what's transcendental. So he describes in the mode of ignorance, people are um, separatists, and in the mode of passion, they want some result from the devotional service. In the mode of goodness, they're doing out of duty. But the first indication of transcendental devotional service is this verse, which Jaitanya Mahaprabhu quotes frequently, Madguna Shruti Matrena Mai Sarva So this means that the um, devotee's mind becomes attracted to the hearing. This is the sign of recovering spiritual health that when you hear it, it attracts your mind. And he gives this analogy that it's like the Ganges. Yata, just like Gangam Bason Budao, as the Ganges is flowing, it can't be stopped by anything. It just goes. And it continues. And in the same way, a devotee who's transcendental to the modes of material nature, performing devotional service, when he or she he, he, hears the, the transcendental vibration or Krishna Kata, the mind runs after it. And then he goes on to say the symptoms. Lakshana means the qualities, bhakti yoga, the qualities of pure devotional service are as follows. 
nirgunasya, they're beyond the modes of material nature, hudharitam, ahaitu ki, avyavahita, avyavahita means it doesn't stop at any time. There's no breakage in it. And ahaitu ki means that there's no a motivation for it. Yabhakti purushottame, this is what's called bhakti, bhakti proper, that's beyond the three modes of material nature. So one can assess from one's own experience in hearing how much attracted one is to hearing the vibration and how much one wants to hear more. Thank you, Naveena Prabhu. Anything else from uh, you'd like to extract from the um, 1 2 16? Mukharavind. Maharaj, I like particularly that uh, the words Srila Prabhupada quotes from 1869 how those who risk everything of their life, they are so much dear to Krishna, so that really caught my attention. Really, how that uh, souls, those who are dear to Krishna, is directly mentioned. We don't have to find the, those who are. Um, so, this gives some nice indication. Yeah. One of the ways to become recognized very quickly is to take some risk for Krishna, especially by spreading the Krishna conscious movement, by teaching Krishna consciousness to others. Do you all find it risky? What what ways would you say it's risky? Yes. So uh, I have a certain kind of repertoire outside in the outside world. If I practice Krishna consciousness, then what might people think about me? I mean, yeah. So you're at Hari Nam, and then your boss walks by, and he goes like, <laughs> "Hey, what are you doing here?" It's like. <laughs> Yeah, that could seem kind of risky. It happened to you. <laughs> I I met my manager in uh, on book distribution. In Knocking San, on the doors in Santa Cruz. Yeah. <laughs> so we had a table. She came by, and then I was talking to someone. Then she waited, and then she took the books, and she gave gave a donation. <laughs> oh, good. There you go. <laughs> It happened when we were going door to door with SKP. We knocked on one door and his boss was in there and was like, oh. <laughs> he invited him in, of course, and then uh, it was just an interesting situation. What other ways is it risky? Yes, Prabhu? Uh, I was just going to say, related to his point, that it's kind of risky. Uh, like, there are three, one thing I was thinking about today was there, there are three parts of a, like Durga's spear, and one of them is other beings. And yeah. it's just, that's essentially what he was saying. It's like other beings inflicting suffering onto us. I think that's a major risk. Yeah, devotees have been killed, even in America, from preaching Krishna consciousness. There have been uh, fire bombings, uh, ashrams. Some devotees died in, in Georgia. Um, you know, in the old days when we went out, when we were younger, to uh, to distribute books in diff different airports. I'm not getting into a bunch of war stories right now, but back when I was a boy, but there was there were a lot of um, risky situations where devotees. Uh, anyway, I'm going to go into details. It was it was risky, and there were some there were some difficult difficulties. Devotees got arrested a lot. I have a friend who holds the record. I think 48 times. That's Divyanga. Uh, 
one devotee. Anyway, I don't want to go into the details, but it, you know, the, we saw it for ourselves. Just even in America, where there's free speech and so forth, can be risky. What to speak of other countries like Russia, where devotees knew that the penalty was death. Saidev and others go to countries which will go unnamed right now, uh, where it's very dangerous. You could be arrested for the activities, and so forth. And uh, you know, probably gives the example that. Oftentimes, these kinds of teachers are, are persecuted. So it can be risky. So if you take that risk. And also, if you're going out to teach Krishna consciousness, maybe you're, you're not pursuing other kinds of things. Uh, you're giving it up to advertise about Krishna instead. And Prabhupada used to say, if somebody was working for you all the time, just advertising your interests, wouldn't you feel inclined towards them? They're going out advertising, yeah, this is, a, this is the best person you should <laughs> give to him. So Krishna feels the same way, similarly. Any last points from the, from the purport you'd like to bring up? Yes, all the way to the back. Please transport the microphone. Uh, thank you for the wonderful lecture, Maharaj. So you run the risk of being misunderstood um, because... <clears throat> You know, your factual experiences while praying to Krishna points to you and scriptures points to you that, you know, he's the highest and supreme God. But when you come with, uh, as friends and you have family members, who, you know, they actually pray to demigods, then you try to say, look, I'm not judging. I'm not actually saying, you know, one is below the other. This is the order of the world. And if they are not caught up onto the understanding, they actually see you as, oh, you have a sense of superiority. It's no, you don't have a sense of superiority. You just have an experience that Krishna is giving you. And how do you put that to words when you, you don't have the experience, right? Yeah, that's a, another example of being risky. You can be misunderstood by family members, other parts of society who just write you off as, not one of them anymore. I know plenty of devotees who never got inheritances because they were devotees. Or there were some crazy stipulations, like one of them, one devotee, who will go unnamed, uh, came from a very wealthy family, and when his fa father passed away, his inheritance was that you know you can have as much money from, from the trust as you earn from a, a regular job, and then all, then it can be matched. I mean, that's not un, ungenerous, but it was definitely holding back because he wanted to prove a point that he wanted to go out and work instead of being a devotee, and, and so forth. So, you know, one risks one's uh, so-called investment in the material world sometimes by being a devotee, preacher. So Krishna appreciates that. So what did we do so far? Let's just recount. What did we win? We chanted a chapter of Bhagavad Gita, and that's not nothing. First of all, we did our chat for the day, and in the, in the Archana Padati, it is said that if anyone commits any aparadhas, any offenses in worshiping the deity, you become freed from those offenses by chanting one chapter of Bhagavad Gita, or what else? Vishnu Sahasranam Stotram. But we mostly stick to the Bhagavad Gita. So then what did we do? 524, we read the purport from 524. 
about inner happiness, then what? Then we read the 34 verses, Divinity Divine Service, in English, and we had some discussion on 1216. And here we are. We're still okay, right? Okay. Well, I, I did have a, a thought about animals when you were t talking about animals. and Yeah. I was uh, in the Skype classes. Uh, we have a Skype classes for the Japanese that um, Vaisheshika Prabhu does sometimes when he's available. And I usually do once a week. And right now we're reading the uh, story of Gajendra. And Gajendra was uh, an elephant, and he was uh, attacked by a crocodile, for those of you who don't know the story. And um, <clears throat> in his previous life, he was a king in the, in the heavenly planets, and he was a devotee of the Lord, and he memorized uh, devotional prayers to the Lord, just like we've been memorizing uh, prayers and chanting verses, so he did that. But then, um, in the, when he was in the heavenly planets, uh, he laughed at a, a, a sage. He offended a sage, and the sage cursed him to become a, a dumb animal, and so he became an elephant. And then he was attacked by a crocodile, and because he was in the water, um, he wasn't on the land. So the crocodile was more powerful than he was. And in desperation, he called out to the Lord. And it's interesting because um, he was calling out to, he didn't have a clear conception of who the Lord was. He just knew that there was one supreme power, higher power. And he was praying to that one supreme higher power for help. And there's only one supreme higher power, and that's, Vishnu or Krishna. So eventually uh, Vishnu appeared to rescue him. And But before that, the demigods had all gathered around the scene and they were witnessing Gajendra fighting with this crocodile. And actually, in their minds, they were waiting for Gajendra to call out for them, for help. And when Gajendra didn't call for them, but instead called for that one supreme power of all powers, the demigods were actually a little disappointed <laughs> <clears throat> because they had a hero complex. <laughs> right? They wanted to be number one. Even, even though the demigods... I found this really interesting because even though the demigods are devotees, they're, they're still affected by... Uh, ignorance, you're still affected by the, the false ego of wanting to be be special. And of course, who's more special than a hero? It's someone who comes to save you. Remember Jeff Walkup? Yep. Yes. Just before he retired from the uh, fire department, he, he wrote a really interesting essay called Removing the Mask of the Hero. Mm. <laughs> anyway, to make a long story short, um, the Gajendra, he was praying in desperation for, uh, for the help of the Lord, and therefore the demigods uh, didn't come to save him. And then when the Lord did appear, the demigods felt guilty. They realized their own heart 
or the mistake they had made that they they actually they wanted to be the savior they wanted to be the lord themselves so when the lord appeared they began praying to the lord um and apologizing to the lord for um wanting to be the lord rather than to be the servant of the lord but gajendra he never had this mentality he his, his prayers were actually pure and so that that reminded me of um a statement Prabhupada made in one lecture where he said that it doesn't matter um, where you are, who you are, what your position is. Uh, if you pray to the Lord with feeling or with love, the Lord will reciprocate. Uh, even if you don't have a clear conception of who the Lord is, if that's your aim, if your aim is that one supreme person, and then uh, Prabhupada, uh, he, he, uh, he asks a rhetorical question. He says, well, then how to pray to the Lord with feeling? And then Prabhupada answers the question. He says, you can pray to the Lord with feeling when you know your position. And so that brings me back to that verse, Shushushro Shwaradhanasha, um, that when we associate with pure devotees or those who know their position, the, uh, if we know that we are uh, eternally dependent upon the Lord, that we have no real independent existence, then how can you not be humble and, and pray with feeling? But if, there's, if we have a misconception about who we are or we're lost on our ego wanting to be special, then we actually can't pray with that feeling. But if we know our actual dependent position, like Agenda did, then um, spontaneously, without any uh, ulterior motive, uh, a, a person can pray to the Lord with feeling and have a relationship or reciprocate with the Lord. So that, that this was all going through my mind during the conversation. Thank you for revealing what was in your mind. It was definitely worth hearing. It's it's such a uh, encouraging thought that Krishna is always there, ready to save us, and depending on our necessity, our feeling of helplessness, and understanding our position, that we can be immediately rectified when we're in that state. One of the prayers or instructions for chanting japa that I read regularly. It's on that sheet of four. And I was just reading it because we had a japa circle in Washington, D.C. during the morning times before the temple president's meetings. And one of, in one of them, Prabhupada says that the Hare Krishna mantra is the same for everyone in that it has equal opportunity and power for every devotee. It's just a matter of if the devotee is free from the ten offenses, then such a devotee will get the full effect of the holy name. And so much of the seventh canto is about this point. It's how we position ourselves to take advantage of the mercy of Krishna. As the point comes up at the beginning of the seventh canto from Prikshit Maharaj asking, why does it seem like Krishna's against the demons and for the demigods? 
because he's supposed to be equal to everybody. And Shukadeva Goswami is explaining that actually he is equal to everybody. In fact, he liberates the demons when he comes in contact with them, but because the demons associate with them, themselves with lower modes of nature, therefore they're not able to take advantage of the mercy of Krishna the way that the demigods are who are cultivate the mode of goodness. Yesham tontakatam papam jananam punyakarmanam tedvanva mohanir mukta bhajantimam dridavrta. If somebody's, Krishna says, freed from the lower modes of nature, then such person can really take advantage of the process of devotional service. So it's important to keep oneself in a state. We have to do that maintenance ourselves so that we can be receptacles, better receptacles for Krishna's mercy. That part we have to do. I was reading recently, and I was just presenting today downtown San Francisco, and in some of the sections, and one of the groups had asked me to talk about habits, how to develop habits. Of course, I never got to it. An hour goes by really quickly. We had other things to talk about. But they had asked me to speak about that. Maybe I will next time. But in preparation for that, I was reading some research which says that 45% of our daily activities are consumed by habits. And that there's a way in which bad habits are really easy to develop. But the result is, is uh, difficult. And good habits are really hard to develop, but the result is really good. And there were a few questions also that uh, I wrote down that are, I gleaned from various places about self-reflection on current habits. Would you like to hear them? Yeah. Okay, the first one is, am I likely to engage in bad habits when alone? Is it, yes is the answer. Well, this is one of the ways we talked about ways in which one can judge how advanced he or she is in devotional service. And one of the uh, aspects was that I'm eager to hear. And the more eager to hear I am, Naveena Prabhu pointed out, the more advanced I am in devotional service. And another one is how well I'm able to uh, be consistent when I'm alone. And do I exhibit bad habits when I'm alone? And due to some form of exhibitionism, I can be very uh, well-behaved when I'm in public. So that's the first question to consider. The second one is, if I could effortlessly change one habit in my life, what would it be? If I could effortlessly change one habit in my life, what would it be? What? Wasting time? Waking up on time? Being? Being on time. Yeah, I know some people who are really good at that. <laughs> like Satya Dave. <laughs> He's the on-time airline. Um, can you think, is, is it helpful to consider this? These are questions that you might want to write down uh, and then think about how, 
them and contemplate them, write some things down. We talked about goals before, but removing obstacles or developing habits is, is another way to think about it. And the next question is, if the people around me could change one of my habits, what would it be? Huh? They could change that? Oh, because they want you to listen. Oh, yeah. That's one of the things I did talk about downtown today, is uh, ways to listen better, to practice listening. Okay, so they would say, I want you to listen more. Any other habits that other people would say they want to ch you to change in your life? Don't blank. What? Don't, uh, you should start planning and not simply live from day to day without any plan. Okay, so that's something to consider. And then finally, of my existing habits, which would I like to see my children or dependents or students adopt or not adopt? So those are some ways to self-reflect. A lot of the nectar of instruction which Naveena Prabhu brought up earlier, talks about developing good habits. There's six bad habits that one can fall into in devotional service, and six good habits that one should cultivate. So obviously there's some cultivation required in, in performing devotional service. What other thoughts do you have or reflections? Yes. Microphone to the front, please. So one of the questions you asked was if people around me could change a bad habit. Yes. Mind, what I was just thinking, see, speaking slowly, because usually, I mean... They I, want you to speak more slowly? Yeah, because uh, <laughs> I've had that experience. So, so you I speak just, too quickly? Sometimes, yeah. I see. <laughs> she didn't say anything, okay. Any other reflections from any of the uh, kata tonight that you want to bring up? Or a question, yes. I was thinking that sometimes you form habits from association, peer pressure and things like that. So. Yes, we pick up habits because of uh, whom we associate with. So that's one of the main points that we talked about earlier is that we become a product of association. And that's why Chaitanya Mahaprabhu recommended that one associate with like-minded devotees who are more advanced than oneself. One begins to pick up the habits ones that, of whomever we're around. In fact, Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, Purusha prakriti stohi bhunte prakriti jangunan karanam gunasangosya sarasad yoni janmasu that whatever good or bad situation you're in now, is because of your past association. So it's important to consider that, how to put oneself in the, into good association. Yes, oh, okay. Now make some, uh, if you have questions. Yes. When we were reading uh, the first canto, second chapter, I think in the text uh, 26, it comes that 
the worship of the demigod is horrible and ghastly normally uh, that intense word is not used for demigods but is there any reason that is used there was well, just that many of the forms of the demigods are uh, considered ghastly is what it says the forms of the demigods appear to be ghastly and that's because um, you know there's all kinds of as you see, South Indian temples sometimes they have uh, figures of all kinds of uh, demigods, and they have various forms that are many-headed, or they have many hands, or they're holding different kinds of weapons and things like that. And um, I'm not familiar with all eight million, or how many demigods there are. How many? Three hundred and thirty million. How many people are there in California? Huh? The U.S. population. So, you know, there's about as many demigods as people in America. Go back to the verse. We'll read the purport. Please say the verse. No, no, say the Sanskrit before it comes up. Mukshava Goda Rupam Hitva Bhuta Patinata Narayana Kalashanta Bhajanti Yanasuyava. So Mumukshava means persons desiring liberation. Gora, horrible, ghastly, rupan, forms like that. So it's talking about the forms of the demigods. Hitva, rejecting. Bhutvapatin, demigods. Atta, for this reason, Narayan, the personality of Godhead. Kala, plenary portions. Shanta, all blissful. Bhajanti, do worship. He, certainly. Anasuyava, non-envious. So the translation is, those who are serious about liberation are certainly non-envious, and they respect all. Yet, they reject the horrible and ghastly forms of the demigods and worship only the all-blissful forms of Lord Vishnu and his plenary portions. Purport, the Supreme Personality of Godhead Sri Krishna, who is the original person of the Vishnu categories, expands himself in two different categories, namely integrated plenary portions and separated parts and parcels. The separated parts and parcels are the servitors and the integrated plenary portions of Vishnu tattvas are the worshipable objects of service. All demigods who are empowered by the Supreme Lord are also separated parts and parcels. They do not belong to the categories of Vishnu Tattva. The Vishnu Tattvas are living beings equally as powerful as the original form of the Personality of Godhead, and they display different categories of power in consideration of different times and circumstances. The separated parts and parcels are powerful by limitation. They do not have unlimited power like the Vishnu Tattvas, Therefore, one should never classify the Vishnu tattvas or the plenary portions of Narayan, the personality of Godhead, in the same categories with the parts and parcels. If anyone does so, he becomes at once an offender by the name Prashandi. In the age of Kali, Kali, many foolish persons commit such unlawful offenses and equalize the two categories. The separated parts and parcels have different positions in the estimation of material powers, and some of them are like Kala Bhairava, Shmashana Bhairava, Shani, Shani, Mahakali, and Chandika. 
These demigods are worshipped mostly by those who are in the lowest categories of the modes of darkness or ignorance. Other demigods like Brahma, Shiva, Surya, Ganesh, and many other similar deities and many similar deities are worshipped by men in the mode of passion, urged by the desire for material enjoyment. But those who are actually situated in the mode of goodness, Sattvaguna, of material nature, worship only Vishnu Tattvas. Vishnu Tattvas are represented by various names and forms, such as Narayan, Damodara, Vamana, Govinda, and Atoksaja. The qualified Brahmanas worship the Vishnu Tattvas represented by the Shalagram Shila, and some of the higher castes, like the Kshatriyas and Vaishyas, also generally worship the Vishnu Tattvas. Highly qualified Brahmanas situated in the mode of goodness have no grudges against the mode of worship of others. They have all respect for other demigods, even though they may look ghastly like Kala, Bhairava, and Mahakali. They know very well that these horrible features of the Supreme Lord are all different servitors of the Lord under different conditions, yet they reject the worship of both horrible and attractive features of the demigods, and they concentrate only on the forms of Vishnu because they are serious about liberation from the material conditions. The demigods, even to the stage of Brahma, the supreme of all the demigods, cannot offer liberation to anyone. Hiranyakashipu underwent a severe type of penance to become eternal in life, but his, worship, but his worshipable deity, Brahma, could not satisfy him with such blessings. Therefore, Vishnu and none else is called Muktipada, or the personality of Godhead who can bestow upon us Mukti, liberation. The demigods, being like other living entities in the material world, are all liquidated at the time of the annihilation in the material structure. We've liquidated. Going out of business sale. Everything must go. Full liquidation. They are themselves unable to get liberation. And what to speak of giving liberation to their devotees? The demigods can award the worshippers some temporary benefit only and not the ultimate one. It is for this reason only that candidates for liberation deliberately reject the worship of demigods, although they have no disrespect for any one of them. You'll find that throughout Prabhupada's... <clears throat> advice about worshiping Ganesh. A lot of devotees ask Prabhupada, if you look it up in the Veda base, can we worship Ganesh? And Prabhupada said, not necessary. And another case, he said, if, if you worship Ganesh to make a lot of money so you can use it for the Sankirtan movement, but he said, you must give at least $100,000 a month. And the reason why this, <laughs> there were some sannyasis that were giving about $100,000 a month from their collection that they were getting from Satyadev. Um, and and they, they had started worshiping Ganesh. And so others were trying to imitate them. So Prabhupada said, if you're going to imitate them worshiping Ganesh, you should also give $100,000 a month. Otherwise, don't do it. But his point was, you know, why? Just take shelter of Krishna. Krishna is the source of all the demigods. If you think of Vrindavan, when the forest fires... There's two stories of forest fires there. The fires start in Vrindavan, and the devotees just call out for Krishna. And when Nandamaraj was being swallowed by a big python, they called out, Krishna, Krishna. They're always calling for Krishna. So, apana samsritim gorandyam nama vivishogranan tata sadyova mutyeta yadbhipeti svayambhayam. Bhagavatam says, just call out for Krishna. 
and take shelter of him. There are all kinds of ways that one tries to take the edge off the material world, but ultimately, the only real solution is to take shelter of Krishna completely. Why delay the process by trying to make all kinds of external arrangements to ward off the onslaught of material nature? If one becomes accustomed to taking shelter of Krishna, Krishna will protect it every, at every turn of life. So we could follow in the footsteps of the residents of Vrindavan. They didn't take shelter of anyone else but Krishna. Of course, Prabhupada points out they worship demigods like Katyayani, but their whole intention was, how can Krishna be my, become my husband? And they're always thinking and praying to Krishna. Ultimately, there's no harm in worshiping the demigod if, if the point is, if one's asking, please let me become a better devotee of Krishna, or let me increase my devotional service. Yes. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. My question is, uh, why do we have this propensity to uh, adopt bad habits so quickly than the good habits? It's a, there's a, a description in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna said, Urvam gachati sattvasta madhyam tishtanti rajasa jaganya guna vrittista adogachanti tamasaha. By the force of the modes of material nature, we're either pulled up or down. And according to our association, we'll be pulled in a certain direction. Just now in the Kali Yuga, we get highly affected. Well, I should say I do. You don't become so affected. But one becomes affected by the lower modes of material nature because they're so prevalent. We may not even notice it, but we're really surrounded by a lot of influence of passion and ignorance. And just by being around it, uh, there's there's a way that we, we get pulled into bad habits. If you lived in the Satya Yuga, where there is no passion and ignorance, you'd probably f find it a little easier. There's not cigarette signs all over the place in Satya Yuga. No chewing tobacco. People don't drink vodka and leave the bottles here and there. No bagpiper whiskey. Um, all kinds of bad habits aren't there because of the, the influence of the modes of the passion and ignorance aren't there. Yes, last point, because we're getting down to the wire. Thank you, Maharaj, for amazing class. Uh, I have this question. Uh, Krishna said to Narad Muni that, you know, intelligence engaged in my service is, is never thwarted. So what about intelligence engaged in service of demigods? So what happens to them? Uh, like how they progress? Oh, people who worship demigods get bewildered all the time. Because it's the story of Rikasura. He worshipped Lord Shiva. And after he got Lord Shiva's attention, he was such a, a rascal. He was a Vrikasura. He was worshiping Shiva, and Shiva didn't show up. So finally he decided he'll cut off his own head and put it in the fire. <laughs> so Shiva, being compassionate, came and said, no, no, don't do that, please. Uh, what do you want? And he said, I want the benediction that anybody's head I touch will crack into a million pieces. Shiva said, okay, you can have it. And then he started chasing Shiva. So then Vishnu inter intervened. He came as a little brahmachari and he said, what, you listen to that guy, Shiva? He's just a wild man. He gave you some benediction. It's not going to work. And if you don't believe me, then touch your own head. You prove it. It doesn't work. And he goes, really? Okay. <laughs> These are the worshipers of demigods. <laughs> They're not very intelligent, Krishna said in the Bhagavad Gita. It's again and again, he mentions this point. 
So real intelligence means to worship Krishna. So all of you are the most highly intelligent, and thank you very much for your association. Not to the Not to the Not to the